my whole first page of notes is just about the first 50 seconds of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, the turntables. I have eight and a half pages of notes. <laughs> I have nine pages of notes. Welcome to the Sing-Sations podcast. I'm Eliza, and I was saved by the grace of God from having to hear Rachel Berry sing Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo. My name is Lori, and I have been personally robbed from hearing Mercedes sing Soulmate by Lizzo. Today, we're going over episode two of Glee, season one. Showman. Showmance. This is where we really get into the romance of the series. Yeah, so we've got, we spent all of the last episode kind of, you know, establishing what the concept of the show is, what the point kind of is. You know, we know our characters, we have our setups, and then we come into this. And it's actually, I noticed, a mirror of the opening of the first episode Mm -hmm. with Will driving to school and his car still dragging again. So I guess duct tape just doesn't exist in the Glee universe. Yeah, Um, I guess he just cannot get his car fixed. Tape it up, bud. Also, his license plate says Glee, but it's in lowercase letters. So I think that's maybe like imaginary. I What I noticed about this intro, it you're right, it does parallel. He also looks like way happier. And like the Glee kids are greeting him in the parking lot. So many notes on that. So first of all, Rachel Berry has a rolling backpack. I just feel like that's relevant to mention, you know. She's absolutely a rolling backpack kid. I was a rolling backpack kid. So Will's also wearing like these sunglasses that's just... They're barely sunglasses. They're barely they try, blocking anything. They try so hard in the first few episodes to prove to us that Will Schuster is cool. They want him to be like the new Justin Timberlake, and he's just not. Yeah. Well, uh, Mr. Schuster, he says, thanks, Rach, which is like, who else calls her that? I don't think anyone else ever calls her that in the entirety of the show. It's also weird because like, it's possible that he's like taught a class to Rachel before, but otherwise like... It's pretty clearly established in the first episode that he is not close with any of them. Finn is wearing his football jersey as casual day wear. And as we've mentioned, neither of us went to a real high school. So I have no idea how normal that may or may not be. I found it weird because in the first episode, it's like very clearly established. I think, or I think it's clearly established that like Finn, we see Finn not wearing his letterman jacket or his football garb. And that's like a visual signal to us that he's different from the other jocks. Exactly. He's not like other boys. A few seconds from now, we're about to see Kurt tossed into a dumpster again. And Finn is wearing his football thing. He doesn't help Kurt at all. But Puck isn't, which I think was just like an interesting little note to us that like he's like Puck is... Puck is beginning, beginning his little tiny character arc of like not being as big of a jerk as he could be. The tiniest of character arcs. Um, they, I will say Finn in season one is just, oh, my sweet little himbo. Um, so stupid. <laughs> she says, Rachel calls him chivalrous and he goes, that's a good thing, right? Like <laughs> he has no idea what the word chivalrous means. Finn is just like chaotic, dumb energy, or I should say lawful dumb energy because he's not trying to be. What I did notice about this as well is obviously this intro does parallel the first intro from the pilot episode. And uh, Rachel, Finn, Mercedes, Tina, Artie are all chummy now. They're all besties walking through the parking lot. Yeah. And they all see Kurt about to get thrown into a dumpster. Here's the thing. I don't know how much any of them know about Finn, about Kirk getting tossed into dumpsters. I mean, I know Finn knows. 
But I don't know about Mercedes and Tina and Artie, who can we just say they walk in and they're learning runs. Were you doing runs on the bus? I if I was on the bus with kids regularly doing runs in harmony at seven o'clock in the morning, I would throw slushies on them, too. We also learn in this uh, sequence when Mr. Shu says go Titans that the mascot, they're the McKinley High Titans. Which is also a better name than the New Directions. Yeah, not as good as the Sensations, but it tops New Directions for sure. And he says, like, just one day, you will all work for me, which is a top 10 iconic Kurt line in my book. But it's also a little bit sad because he doesn't even try to stop them. He just, you know, drops his bag and accepts his fate. What I feel like is is stupid is, like, he could easily say, hey, Will, hey, Mr. Shu, I'm getting bullied by these guys, like, consistently. Like, that, I think, is what makes me sad, that he feels so helpless that he can't even tell anyone. Uh, then we cut to Will walking in just a random outdoor hallway, which seems like a fantastic thing to have at a school in Ohio, where I am told winters get very cold. McKinley is like a stupid big school for some middle-of-nowheresville high school. Someone literally gave Will an apple? Like, I don't even have a comment about that. That's just, he just literally thanked someone for giving him an apple. He is not good enough of a teacher for an apple. We have see Emma, whose plan is apparently just walk directly into him so they have to initiate a conversation. But, like, this is the moment where it hit me, like, okay, Emma actively knows that he is A, married, B, about to be a father. Is Emma a terrible person? I, I think she is a very emotionally undecided person. I think... Yeah, she probably has a lot of, like, conflicting... They're also wearing matching blue tones, I noticed. And then we get the entrance, and unless I missed it last episode, the first line of our iconic queen, and I'm pretty sure Santana's first line in the entire show is get a room. Which, I don't know. So, here's the thing. That line bothers me, not because Santana says it, because she's right, she should say it to them, but, like... How does, like, does Will not realize that Emma has a crush on him? Is he some kind of dumb? If there's one thing men have, it's the audacity. Like, how does everyone see that this, that they are clearly flirting with each other in the hallway and Will doesn't think, oh, you know what? I'm married and I have a baby on the way. Maybe I should distance myself a little bit from this woman who, like, clearly has a thing for me. He never even tries to let her down easy. It's, Like this, as I said, this is the first episode where you for sure get the inkling that Will is a terrible person. I mean, I guess there was morally a dubious stuff in the first episode too, but like you really start to question. What with uh, planting weed in a high schooler's locker? Will ends up going to Sue's uh, office, which she has an office, even though she's not even the gym teacher. She's just like a coach of a specific cheerleading team. Apparently she's talked with Figgins. Uh, she's found out that they have this ultimatum that they need to place it or to win regionals in order to keep the Glee Club going. And she says she found the show choir rule book at the library. I don't know why the library has a copy of that, but apparently they need 12 students to qualify for a competition and they only have six. Two things. First of all, I need to make a correction because last episode I said that in the pilot they said they have four and a half kids. I was mistaken. Here, she has, says they have five and a half kids referring to Artie in a wheelchair. So screw that ableist language. Wow, Ryan Murphy, we just love to be offensive for no reason and not even act like it's comedy, just act like it's normal. I have I have a problem with this, not just because it's ableist, but it also bothers me because 
I know Sue hasn't had like tons of character development so far. We don't know that she has a sister with Down syndrome, but it seems terribly out of character to me for Sue to be ableist towards a kid in a wheelchair, because I think that Sue is the kind of person to be able to tell like, hey, I wouldn't want someone calling my sister with Down syndrome half a person because of her disability. So I shouldn't call a kid in a wheelchair half a person. Like, like that seems like something that Sue that Sue should be able to recognize, but I don't think they knew at this point that they were going to give Sue that backstory. And so they don't really care. She also also says, Will should euthanize the Glee Club just like she euthanized her mother. And yet later in this season, I think, season one, we find out that her mother is played by Carol Brunette. There's a whole discussion to be had about the guest stars on Glee because they got some big names in there and it mm-hmm. just creates endless alternate universe possibilities, which we will get into later, specifically with the Kristen Chenoweth episode. Then we cut to Quinn and Finn talking at Finn's locker. Uh, Rachel, we learn, I think now, has a locker like two down from his. Mm-hmm. Quinn is talking about wanting to be prom royalty, which aren't they sophomores? I'll say this. She says, if you quit the club, I'll let you touch my breast. And he genuinely thinks about it. He's like, mm, good deal. There's so much to get into here. Um, first of all, that's her idea of a compromise. Second of yeah. all, as you said, he genuinely thinks about it. I know it's because we haven't gotten much development for Finn so far, but it's, I think it's funny to see how last episode ended with like such courage. He stands up for Artie. And now he's like, let them drop Kurt into a dumpster again and has gone like totally spineless when Quinn is berating him. Another thing that we get brought up is uh, this is our, wow, first instance of equating liking to sing with being a homosexual. Right. So he walks off um, and she, you know, correctly notices that Rachel is eavesdropping and she goes, girl talk, man hands, which as an insult doesn't even make sense. Quinn also calls Rachel RuPaul in the pilot episode. And so I guess they're trying to imply that Rachel is like man-ish or like too boyish and like not cute like all the other girls when like Leah Michelle is not like a masculine, a quote unquote masculine woman. Just a weird, a weird dichotomy to make when like she does not look all that different from like any of the other girls on the show. I will also say about this, like Quinn is definitely being rude here, but also if I was already insecure about my relationship, I probably wouldn't want other girls kind of ogling my boyfriend either. Like she's definitely- Oh yeah, I understand where she's coming from. She's just being awful about it. She's not going about it the right way, but she's also right to suspect Rachel. Quinn is also probably feeling guilty because at this point we don't know it, but she probably has already cheated on Finn at this point. So she's probably already very insecure in her relationship with him. She does also say, so she finishes saying, every day Glee's status is going up and yours is going down. Deal with it. Which would be a totally epic line if she was not immediately slushy afterwards. And then even before that cut is done, we have the, ah, freak out for our, I don't, I don't know if we can call this a number because they don't really get all the way through it. A rehearsal for a number, they're doing freak out. Um, it's clearly supposed uh, to be bad too. Yeah, Rachel's in a completely new outfit, uh, which <laughs> just implies that 
she just has a, an entire outfit at school, which given the fact that it seems she's been slushied before, not entirely unrealistic. Which also leads me to the question, so is the school administration just doing nothing? Yeah, like, kids are getting slushied in the face in the hallways almost every day. It's specific, it's targeted, it's repetitive. Like, this is the sort of thing you can go, um, hello, principal? During um, this number of, of freak out that they're doing, I noticed that Artie can, like, barely move because they're doing all these disco arm moves, like, with lots of pointing, and so he can't move his wheelchair because he can't do them at the same time. Rachel also does a high kick out of nowhere. Will says, have some more energy. It's disco, which he's correct, but also it's disco. And like, maybe it would be easier for your kids to have energy if you weren't forcing them to do a song that they clearly hate. Yes. There are plenty of good disco songs out there. You could do a song that they all enjoy. It's mentioned later that the only reason he wants to do La Freak is because they did it in 1993 and it was good. And again, just like with Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat, it sounds like a little hollow, but singing wise for like a first run through of a rehearsal, it's not that bad. It's fine. I mean, again, it's kind of purposely bad because they're all not enjoying it. We find out they're supposed to be doing this for a pep assembly. Um, I also, I can't decide here if they want Tina to be really shy or really bold. Because she seems really shy. She's wearing like a dowdy gray sweater. And she's like, oh no, I don't want to perform at the assembly. But last episode, we saw her be like very punk rock. And she did her like thigh slap at her audition. So it's it's almost like they care, the writers wanted her to be this like racist stereotype, quiet Asian trope but then like forgot halfway through writing the character and couldn't pick a personality for her, which I think is something we will see carried through every other Tina scene from now on. So then we cut to um, Will and Terry trying to buy a house. And this scene starts with Will talking about an anecdote where his dad is like, you're not a real man until you buy your first house. But then he just reveals like it's absolutely nothing that will's house burned down will's dad burned down their house in a drunken fight with will's mom this is never mentioned again they never really talk later about like will's relationship with his parents i think they're probably mentioned a handful of times throughout all six seasons this is also it's nicely fitting with the theme of like finding yourself, becoming a quote-unquote man, that kind of thing that Finn deals with as well. Because ultimately, Will and others, you know, they become quote-unquote men when they are true to themselves, not because of any sort of arbitrary, oh, Terry wants to buy a house, so I guess I have to buy a house because that's what makes me a man. And speaking of Terry, do trees come in different colors? (laughs) They fade out on her voice here, but I just want to make it known. She asks if they come in different colors, because they're expecting a girl. So is she asking if trees come in pink? Pink Christmas trees specifically. Yeah, not just like pink flowers, pink bushes. Christmas trees. So then we get the scene with uh, who I want to say is, in my opinion, the most awful character. Kendra, Terry's sister. There's a difference between being realistic about like, yes, giving birth is hard. Recovering from birth is hard. Having an infant is difficult. Um, but there's a difference between being realistic and then saying that being a mother will make Terry actively homicidal. Yeah. Kendra mentions that postpartum depression runs in their family, which I don't want to necessarily take as like, 
a complete lie because it's entirely possible. Postpartum depression is like a very common thing that does not get talked about a lot. However, I believe multiple times, both in this episode and the previous episode, Terry says stuff like, oh, if my diabetes comes back, I can't get pregnant. And I feel like they're establishing this weird, like, not quite hypochondriac, but where Terry and Kendra essentially will just say they have XYZ illness and therefore that they're allowed to act a certain way. My other note for this scene is I have literally, I have literally never met children who just run around in circles screaming. I think they cut it specifically and overlaid the audio so that they're never taking a breath, which is extremely unsettling. Yeah, they're clearly trying to make Kendra's kids seem like they are the worst kids ever, which of course only makes Will like more insecure in his abilities to raise kids because they're just talking about how awful it's going to be once they have a kid. And it's so important that they have a nice house. And he's like, oh no, I don't have money for a nice house. What am I going to do? In this scene, we also see uh, Kendra just being absolutely awful to her husband Mm -hmm. uh which brings me to my next note which is unofficial unfortunate reoccurring segment are straight people okay no (laughs) the answer is no it's clearly establishing to the fact that both kendra and terry are very manipulative um to their husbands and their families which i guess to some extent i think does make me sympathetic a little bit to terry because she's perhaps grown up in a family where she is being manipulated constantly. So she's devised these defense mechanisms. Bill is trying to argue like, hey, there have been lots of foreclosures on our street. Like, why don't we just get one of those cheaper houses? And Terry's like, no, I can't live in a used house, even though they live in an apartment. I would just like to mention before my parents bought the house that I've lived in my entire life, someone had literally died in this house. Also, they live in an apartment right now. Like, someone probably lived in that apartment before you, unless you literally got the apartment, like, the minute the apartment building was done being built. Yeah. Also, again, this is 2009. This is right after the housing bubble burst. They're in a recession. They also talk about, so there's a woman, like, leading them around the house with a real estate agent. And they're talking about the cost for a house is just, like, a base amount, but then they can get add-ons. They can get a grand foyer, or a sun nook. And they say the grand foyer is $14,000 and the sun nook is $24,000. $24,000 is what some teachers make in like an entire year. And Will says, we literally can't afford it. And Terry says, I want to show you something really special. Hard cut. This is where our daughter or gay son will sleep. It's this super pink frilly bedroom. This super like clearly designed for a girl. The first of many times that Glee will equate being a gay man to being a woman. And she actually does say something kind of cute here. She says, um, we could put one of those mini pianos in here and you two could put on shows for me, which like kind of makes you go like, oh, oh, they could be like a little happy family. But it would be cuter if it didn't have the underlying tone of like, oh, everything my husband does is for me. It's also like a very, it's another manipulative move because Will wants to have their nice, happy family. And she's very obviously playing into that to be like, hey, we can have this nice, perfect house. Everything will be so nice. After Terry refers to choosing between the sun nook and the grand foyer as her own Sophie's choice, but she needs the polished door handles. And she goes, this is our dream. And Will has a line where he's like, I knew in that moment I would do whatever it took, which is another 
parallel to Finn saying he would do whatever it took to make his mom proud. And um, Will decides to get a part-time job, even though he's already working detention for free. So where's he going to have time for a part-time job? Like, I don't know what they're expecting here. (laughs) He's not going to have time for that, being a teacher and a detention person. Yeah, because being a teacher is already more than 40 hours a week. Um, We do a cut, and it's Mercedes and Kurt talking about fashion in the choir room. And I just want to say... He says, you look like a Technicolor zebra. And she says, you're a hater. And I'd really like to believe that these weren't lines and that this was just Chris Colfer and Amber Riley talking to each other. I would love to believe that. I would love to believe that. It's also interesting because this is episode, this is only episode two. We see him like not even halfway into the second episode. He's just like openly in a very, you can tell like a friendly sort of way, like in a semi-serious friendly way, like making fun of Mercedes's outfit, which admittedly kind of bad, but I'm not blaming Mercedes the character for that. I'm blaming the wardrobe department who, as we've seen already is just bad. (laughs) Also, she is wearing a rainbow zebra print sweatshirt and she kind of looks bomb in it. Will walks in and he's got some good old Kanye West sheet music. Screw Kanye West. This is an anti-Kanye West podcast. Yeah. But back in 2009, that was the cool thing. And the Glee kids get all excited because yay, finally a song that is not trash. And Will says they still have to do Le Freak at uh, the pep rally because that's the one they've been rehearsing and they can't possibly throw together Gold Digger at the last minute. You know, he gives Finn the lead, which- Finn is immediately uncomfortable with. Will is making a really big deal right now out of like, communication is the foundation of any successful music group. And then Artie goes, well, we'd really like to not do disco at the assembly. And Will goes, Finn, you're going to do the solo. So it's like, what was that about communication, Mr. Shu? He says that he'll walk Finn through it and takes off his jacket. Who am I to judge? Maybe it's a casual Friday. Um, My issue here is more with the fact that they have all the kids go, ooh. Gross. Please don't. That's my only note here. Please don't. Uh, And then just moving on from that, please give Mercedes more solos. Mercedes tears it up with this first line of Gold Digger. If if this entire cover was just Mercedes or Mercedes and Artie, this would be a great cover. But Will starts rapping and mm, it's it's so kids bop it hurts. My only my main note for this is just not even a full sentence. It's just Will rapping bad. It's bad, yeah. The Glee kids, I don't even necessarily mind. So the Glee kids are doing the I gotta need or whatever the tune is. And they sound very kids bop. But I almost don't mind it from them because they are kids. I'm not mad at that. It's Will's rapping that bothers me. He sounds like he's trying to ride a bike with square wheels. And Kevin McHale could have totally done the rap verse as well. Like, I don't think he would have sounded as bad either. Or they could have just given it to Mercedes. Will also, also says that it's going to be a song that they do at regionals. How come he's singing it? I've said this to you before, but that would be like if a director in a musical theater production was like, actually, all the leads stand aside. I'm just going to sing the lead role of Donna in Mamma Mia for this one rehearsal, just for this one rehearsal to show you how it's done. Like, no. The director would like give notes and like teach the kid how to do it. Uh, Then we get into what I think is the worst scene in the entire episode. 
which is Emma. We see Emma walking out of the bathroom. You know, she has her hands up. She's about to wash them. First of all, teachers and faculty do not share bathrooms with students. Very weird. She hears someone throwing up and she goes in and it's Rachel. And she goes, are you throwing up? And Rachel says, no. And she goes, you missed the toilet. And she says, the last girl who was throwing up was here. So eating disorders just are running rampant in this school. Rachel says, "I, I can't throw up. I don't have a gag reflex. And Emma says, one day when you're older, that'll be a gift. Disgusting. I say again, is Emma a terrible person? Then we move on. We're in Emma's office. And this is the premiere of her famous pamphlets. And then Rachel says she just tried and failed to have bulimia. She which... failed bulimia. But she says she wants to be, quote, thinner and prettier like that Quinn girl. And like, this is the classic, you know, audience is told that an already beautiful girl isn't beautiful enough because women just can't win. Because women are just not good enough ever. I will say Emma gets some points back for, you know, still wanting to talk about, okay, well, why do you want to have an eating disorder? So she's good at her job. She's just bad at everything else. We have Rachel saying, do you ever like someone so much that all it makes you want to do is just like lock yourself in the bedroom, put on sad music and cry? And Emma goes, well, and we hard cut to Emma in her car in the rain, makeup streaming down her face, scream sobbing along to All By Myself. And she just breaks in and goes, I'm all by myself, I'm all by myself. The amount of scenes in Glee that are done in cars in the pouring rain is really iconic. Emma goes into this whole thing about like, you know, maybe it's for the best. She does eventually give some good advice. I think it is good advice. She tells Rachel to protect her heart and that if a boy doesn't like her for the way she is, then you know, he's not worth it. But also she's clearly projecting and clearly thinking about like, oh, it's really, it really sucks that like I have a crush on a married man who has a kid on the way. She also does give good romantic advice, which is, you know, common interests and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, says that Rachel should find common interests. uh, And then we hard cut to Rachel and Finn are in the principal's office. (laughs) They make it sound like Rachel and Finn were doing something dirty at first. They're like, oh no, can't believe we caught Finn and Rachel doing this. But it turns out that they were just making flyers for the Glee Club and using Sue's copier. They're making photocopies and Will's just like, they should just pay for the copies and we can let those drop. Which is like, that's good. I would like to point out, so they were making flyers so that they'll put the flyers all over the school, make Glee Club look really cool so that they don't have to perform at the assembly. So Will is still mad at them because he's like, no, you're performing at the assembly. You don't have a choice. And then we cut to, you know, Rachel is like, we can still rehearse if you want. And he goes, no, I have a celibacy club meeting. Celibacy club, exactly the sort of thing that sounds like it would exist in a high school in 2009. We cut to a scene, which is just another glee. Why this um, part? Because it is Will and Terry in the bath together. I have something to say about this. So uh, do you remember when we watched Big Fish, one of my favorite movies? There is a scene in Big Fish where the the main character as an old man, he's taking a bath. He's like fully clothed, but he's kind of sickly near the end of his life. And his wife also fully clothed like comes and they hold each other in the bathtub. And it's like so romantic and beautiful. I would just like to say that this is the opposite energy to that scene. Where- <laughs> I have never been more stressed out watching two people have a conversation. 
I honestly think as far as bathroom scenes in popular media go, I think that the scene from Saw was better than this also. (laughs) (laughs) So we should talk about what actually happens. Will says that he can't find work and it's hard, so hard to find a part-time job because it is because they've just hit a recession. He's being honest. He's just saying like, Hey, we'll have to do less extensions on the house. And Terry just explodes. She goes, I'm tired of compromise. And she works so hard and she deserves her dream house. Terry says that no one cares about all the hard work she puts in into selling personal massagers. And then in the same sentence, it says that none of the Glee kids care at all about Will choreographing those stupid dance routines. So like she clearly thinks that the things she does are more are worth more than the things he does for his job despite him being the one who actually makes money in the house. And also, it's quantifiably false. The kids do appreciate the, him choreographing the dances. <laughs> yeah, what they does Terry know? Like but, like, they're having a good time at Glee. So that thing in the scene in the bath dive happens, which I suppose we are to assume that that's, like, the evening. And then we cut, and it's, like, the end of a school day. Will is leaving school. And he sees that Figgins is, like, scraping up a smoothie that Sue dropped onto the floor. And Figgins is like, oh, I've been having to stay late and like do some of the janitorial work. Will offers to take some of the janitor spots and says he'll work at half salary, which I think is also illegal. I don't know, but he's already working detention for free. And now he's offering to take another job, but work half the salary. And then now we have the celibacy club meeting. And there are school rules that say they have to let anyone join, but it's only cheerleaders at this meeting. It's all cheerleaders sitting on one side of the room and then Rachel on by herself on the other side of the room. The way celibacy club works, the girls and boys are separated at first and they're supposed to be like talking about, I guess, their, their beliefs and their struggles. And I th- find it kind of funny. The girls are like twirling in their skirts, joking about sex while the boys are having like some semblance of a conversation. So like, yay, male bonding, but also Jacob Ben Israel, one of the other boys in the in the club is like, I think I'm going to kill myself because it's so hard to look at sexy pictures of girls. We have a puck line, which is Santana Lopez bent over the other day, and I swear I could see her ovaries. Relaying that information, I feel like I need to go take a shower. That's also the first time we hear Santana's name, as far as I'm aware. Like, we heard her speak earlier in the episode, but that's the first time we hear her name, and it's in this disgusting line. We get into, someone asks Finn how he, um, I don't I remember the exact language. He how uses, he prevents, how he... oh, from arriving early. From arriving early while making out with Quinn. Because I think Finn is probably the only, one of the only ones, if not the only one, in the club right now who like has a committed girlfriend finn you know he puts on that like macho swagger persona saying like not a problem for me and then in his internal monologue he's very much like it is a problem and you know they normally say like you think of dead kittens and stuff but i have one thing that always works for me and this is another time where the editing and glee when it's good it's good um because it's the shot of he and his mom they're going out driving for the first time and they right. hit a mailman. <laughs> they hit a mailman and he like catapults like above their car. And then we just cut back like nothing happened. So the celibacy club comes together now and they're doing this exercise where they kind of like slow dance, I guess, or they're like holding each other at a distance, but they hold a balloon between their crotches and try not to pop it. 
it doesn't seem that hard to not smash your crotch into someone else's. And one would think that it would actually like encourage you to like put pressure on coming in with your hips so you can hold the balloon as opposed to just like arm's length. That's pretty simple. Quinn and Finn are paired up with this balloon project because obviously they're dating. Rachel gets paired up with the creep Jacob Ben Israel, who I'm not trying to defend anything this character will do in the future. He definitely is kind of a creep, but it's also this like horrible Jewish stereotype of the like sex obsessed, emasculated Jewish man already paired with Rachel's kind of shrewish Jewish American princess stereotype. And it's just like, oh, it makes my skin crawl. Um, Finn's balloon does pop. He says it, it's because it hits his zipper, which I don't find hard to believe. Rachel does get fed up with them and says, you know, this is pointless actual sex education is needed in schools. And she's not wrong. Sex education is needed. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with having a celibacy club, but I don't think this is how one should be run. But um, she does say girls want sex just as much as guys do, which is this like, what? And it like takes Finn by total surprise. Then we cut to Will cleaning uh, the science room, I think. Uh, And he's only working part-time for half salary, yet he gets custom coveralls. (laughs) He gets his own overalls with his own name tag. This is the first time we get, like, very obvious, like, Emma Pillsbury has OCD. And I won't say that Emma's OCD is the worst thing that is the thing that they handled the worst throughout all of Glee, but I certainly think it's the worst thing they handled this season. Yeah, it's... They clearly try to portray her as being very quirky and cute because OCD is just so quirky to have, but then also portray it as just like, they almost portray it as like a thing that she chooses to have because she does explain that like she had this kind of traumatic event where she was thrown into a pile of manure at a farm and now she, she has trouble feeling clean. She has trouble feeling like everything around her is clean which kind of diminishes all that OCD is. Like OCD can come from traumatic events, I think, but it's also more than just cleaning things. And also Will's reaction to learning this. He rubs his hand along the baseboard of a chalkboard to collect chalk on his fingers and rubs it on her nose. In this awkwardly long charged moment. And also um, Will. She is specifically saying, no, please don't do this. And you do it anyway. She's clearly saying no. And they portray it as like a romantic thing. Like he's married and they're like, ooh, sexy. He's rubbing chalk on her nose. Yeah, awkwardly charged moment to have with someone who is not your spouse. He does wipe it off a second later, but it is just gross. Then we cut to the Glee kids in the gym. Where did Rachel get a gavel? Question one. Question two, why is there no one else in the gym? And they're talking about how they don't want to do the assembly. They don't want to do disco. And Rachel has made the executive decision uh, where we're going to give them what they want. And in just the driest tone of voice, Kurt Hummel, light of my life, just goes, blood. I love him. Jocks Um, would want people to bleed out on stage. Like, that's the amount that they hate Kurt. They decide to sell sex on stage. And then it cuts to the pep rally. Uh, I will say these costumes, kind of cute. Well, Um, so Fagans introduces Will 
and then Will introduces the Glee Club, and there's like a stage set up in the gym, and there's like spotlights, and again, never been to a real school, but I don't think gyms come equipped with spotlights. They literally have an auditorium. Yeah. Before the song comes on, Emma is the only one to cheer for Glee. She's like, yay, Glee Club. That's very cute. We love that. They come out and honestly, I do think La Freak would have been better because the song that they end up doing it is Push It by Salt and Peppa. Chef's Kiss. This is, this dance, first of all, the dancing slaps. And second of all, it brings a smile to my face. This number brings a smile to my face. My main question for this is, um, so it does get show, go on to show that, like, the student body likes this. They think that it's fun. Uh, how does this work? It's the most awkward thing I think I've ever seen. This is a good and a bad cover, where I think it is, like, fun to listen to, but it's clearly not done in the same sense that most Glee Clovers are done, where they're supposed to be actually enjoyable to listen to. It's just fun. <laughs> it is objectively hilarious to watch. But also really uncomfortable. Because hearing Artie, the 16-year-old, go, only the sexy people, gross. Uh, At one point, Kurt slaps Finn's ass. Uh, Given his reaction to it, I legitimately, the first time we watched this back in April, uh, I legitimately thought that we were going to get a bisexual Finn storyline. But alas, that did not come to pass. Um, My Finn would have been too powerful. The song ends super abruptly, too. The song just ends. And there's like a moment of silence. And then the whole school goes wild. And they're cheering. And it's like the best thing they've ever seen. Which, you know, it's Lima, Ohio. Maybe it is. Um, Maybe. So we cut into the office. uh, And Sue says she wants to put the Glee kids in foster care. She says, at first I thought the Glee kids should go into foster care. But now I'm demanding that Will resign from his job. Which is valid. I want to point this out. She says that this is the most offensive thing, referring to the Glee Club cover of Push It by Salt and Peppa, as the most offensive thing she's seen in 20 years of teaching. And I will say that later on, Sue claims to be 34 years old. So how is it that she's been teaching since she was 14? I want to know. They don't have an answer for you, and that's the, the worst part. So Figgins talked to his pastor. He has a list of approved Christian songs. Um, which is, they all, I don't know. I find this weird. So he says the Glee kids are talented. Just the issue is content. So he gives them this list of clean songs, but he cuts the Cheerios dry cleaner budget to pay for new costumes for Glee. So like they get rewarded because they now have funds, more money for the Glee club, but also punished because now they can only perform clean songs. Which never becomes, like, after this episode, never becomes a problem again. Yeah, it's not really ever mentioned. They walk out of Figgins' office, and Rachel tries to apologize to Will. But Will's like, no, you messed up big time, because now any parent who saw that or any parent who was told about that, no way they're going to let their kid join Glee Club if they think that this is what we're about. Which, valid, because, you know, Rachel, what were you thinking? But also that number was hilarious. If Rachel was trying to sell sex, which she didn't have to do that, but if she was trying to sell a cooler song to the kids, right? Why didn't they just perform Gold Digger? Like, yeah, already has the sheet music to Gold Digger. 
they already had a little bit of the soft choreo worked out for it. And it's a song that most kids would know and like, and doesn't involve them twerking all over the stage in very sexually provocative costumes and dances, dance moves. So like, why didn't they just perform that? And it would have accomplished her goal. Then we cut to the teacher's lounge and Emma is eating grapes and wiping off the grapes before she eats them. Ken's um, like, hey, we should go to Tulip Palooza. And she goes, no, I have asthma. Um, my note here is how many times does Emma have to turn him down? So I have kind of, uh, I have conflicting emotions about this. She says, I have asthma. I can't go to this flower festival with you. And he kind of calls her out. He's like, what are you doing, Emma? Like, you have a crush on a married man. Like, what's what's going on? And setting aside the fact that he calls her crazy, setting aside that fact, I am somewhat sympathetic to Ken because he definitely should back off. He definitely needs to stop asking her out because she's turned him down so much. But he also has a point that she needs to, like, stop hoping for a guy who is not available to her at all. Um, However, he also says, quote, in this town, you're not going to do much better, referring to better than himself. And I just want to say, if I can't do better than a gym teacher who calls me crazy, I'm fine not getting married. Yeah, a lot of media will try to be like, the worst thing that could ever happen to a woman is dying alone. So she should settle for any man who wants her. And it's like, no, I think I'd be happier being single forever than being with a guy who doesn't appreciate me and eggs me all the time. Uh, Then we cut to Rachel and Finn rehearsing in the auditorium. Uh, She has a whole picnic set up, Rachel, honey. Um, And she asks... You know, you didn't have to ask me for help. And he says, I wanted to be good like you. And then he, like, insults her again. um, Saying, you talk more than you should. I kind of like, so I kind of like this little scene. Because he he says he likes doing the club and he likes learning from her. Because it's his chance to be good like her. And that can be interpreted as good as in talented, a good singer. Or good as, like, morally good as opposed to his jock bully friends he also i think calls her he, he either calls her crazy or insane here as well and there's a lot of men calling women crazy in these first few few episodes and he goes when you saw when you sang i felt it in here and he puts his hand on his the the right side of his chest uh and rachel goes your heart is on your other side silly uh it is unbearably cute it, it is unbearably cute admittedly so, he does compliment her little speech from the celibacy club, says that that it was really brave of her to speak up. And they lean a little closer, and they lean a little closer, and she goes, you can kiss me if you want to. And he does! And, like, they kiss for, like, three seconds, and then he immediately, I guess it's implied that he has an orgasm? Granted, I have never been a 16-year-old man. I Never <laughs> once, in fact. But that just seems... I guess the implication is that Rachel, like, does it for Finn more than Quinn does. But again, when the editing is good, it's good because we get the uh, car crashing again. He imagines the mailman crashing into the car again. And then he's like, oh, oh, no. And he, like, stands up really awkwardly. And he's like, oh, I gotta go. Don't tell anyone about this. 
Which must be so awful for Rachel to hear. I'm not sure if this was supposed to be comedy, but I do feel bad for her. We do cut right after that, though, and it's the doctor squeezing the jelly on Terry's stomach, which is such a gross mental picture after we just saw Finn about to, like, <laughs> gross. Um, she's getting an ultrasound. And she says, I don't want my baby to have a third arm because I'm stressed all the time and live in squalor. Uh, and I just got to say, I don't think Terry knows how pregnancy works. You live in a nice apartment with a loving husband. Like, there is no... Stop acting like you're the poorest chump on earth and like, God forbid you not be able to afford certain things. But then she's like, oh, I want you to run any and all tests to prevent my baby from being any sort of disabled. But like, Terry, you're trying to afford a house right now and you're constantly berating your husband on how little money he makes. And then you go to the doctor and you're like, I want every single test you have. Then we learn that Terry is not actually pregnant. I don't like using this word because of the implications, uh, but a hysterical pregnancy, which means that she wanted to have a baby so bad that essentially her body tricked her into thinking she was having a baby. I have a lot of problems with the way this scene is handled, and most of them stem from the fact that she has obviously wanted to have a baby so much for such a long time that her body literally had the reaction as if she was having a baby. This should be a heartbreaking moment for Terry. And it's just played for laughs. And she makes this, oh gosh, sort of face. And you get the, you know, the bow, bow, um, little comedy acapella outro for this scene that is actually something that's really difficult emotionally that a lot of women will go through where you think you're, you know, you're getting all set and ready to have a baby. And then find out you aren't, be that, you know, fetal death, a stillbirth, miscarriage, anything like that. Uh, I just hate how Glee handled all of the pregnancy storylines because they just did it in just the worst possible way that they could have. Yeah, it's just, it's very disrespectful and insensitive to the struggle that some women go through of trying to get pregnant, the struggles of being pregnant, the struggles of giving birth or being a mother. And I think it's because at this point they are trying to establish Terry as I don't want to say an antagonist, but they're clearly trying to establish her as a pretty bad person. And she kind of is. But I think they're, mm-hmm. they don't want us to see her sympathetically. So they don't portray this scene as sympathetic. But also, like, if my, if this happened to me and my doctor was like, oh, turns out you're not pregnant, you're just gaining a lot of weight, fatty, that sounds awful and horrible to go through. And now Terry has not only the weight of finding out that she's not pregnant, but Will was essentially ready to sign the lease on a new house. And so now she's also not getting this new house that she wanted. And she has to tell her husband, oh, wait, we're actually not going to be a family now, which is, it's sad. So they, of course, don't give that scene anyway and immediately do a hard cut back to the choir room, which leads me to another, hello, I didn't go to a normal high school question, which is, do school papers, school newspapers, how much of a thing are they? And do they really talk about relationships going on at the school because I feel like that's the sort of thing that is just gossip because Quinn says I'm sure you've read about me and Finn being a couple in the school newspaper so as far as I'm aware school newspapers are like a little pamphlet that'll come out once a week with like events going on in the school and so since she is a cheerleader and he is a football player it's possible that like the football games get announced in the school newspaper but yeah it's like it'd be weird to read about a specific couple She's also there with Santana and Brittany, 
this is the first time we really see Brittany as well than the other Cheerio. And she doesn't really have a personality so far. Her and Santana were originally meant to be dancers on the show. They weren't really given much of a personality or expected to be popular characters. They're auditioning for Glee as a trio, which I find kind of weird because no one else got to audition. Like everyone else had to sing a solo for their audition. They sing Say a Little Prayer for You. Uh, And this number, first of all, the dancing, the spokles, the harmony, everything about it is perfect to a T. Fun fact. So first of all, Naya Rivera and Heather Morris, who play Santana and Brittany, are absolutely not doing the backing vocals on this. Absolutely not. completely different people's voices. But also, they apparently learned this dance like minutes before recording. Um, And it is a very cute dance. It's pretty cute. Um, Diana Agron does sound like a little boring, honestly. The song isn't like the most exciting, but it's cute. Then after the audition, which goes very well, Will wants to let them in. Uh, they go and they're in Sue's office. Um, you know, Quinn is explaining why she wants to join the Glee Club. And she calls Rachel that thing. This is the first time also that they equate Quinn and a young Sue Sylvester. Which I guess is true for the first few episodes and for Ryan Murphy's like vision of the character. But also I stand Quinn and I will stand by her forever. So now they're her spies gonna take Glee down from the inside and Quinn goes and I can get my boyfriend back and then Sue goes I don't really care about that which fair enough we cut Uh, Emma cleaning the water fountain in the school hallway which like if her OCD is so bad why is she even drinking from the school fountain at all like why wouldn't you just bring a water bottle and Will comes up with a new type of disinfectant wipe and another like weird vaguely pickup-y line sort of thing He's Um, like, hey, baby, we'll clean together. Emma's like, what are we doing, Will? We can't keep doing this. This is is weird. (laughs) Which, good for her. Call him out, Emma. And she says she's going on a date with Ken. And you know what? Uh, Ken, I wouldn't say great choice, but good for her. Good for her for trying to move on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Will goes home and Terry has made dinner. She says she went to the baby doctor today. And you can tell, like... You can kind of tell, like, she's going to tell him there's no baby. She's getting there. But then he starts to talk about how happy he is with all the hard work he's doing and how it'll all be worth it to have a happy family. And you can just see the terror in Terry's eyes, like, oh, no. And she decides not to tell him that she's not pregnant. And she says that they're having a boy instead She's like, that was my big news. We're just having a boy. Glee really went and said, lie to your spouse. It's fine. Well, not that it's fine, because I don't think they're trying to portray Terry as a redeemable character by any means. They're not trying to portray it like this is a good thing. She does start to compromise, I will say. She says, no, you don't need to take the janitor job or continue working the janitor job. I'll just give up my craft room. We'll keep living here. We'll turn my room into a nursery. They do hug And it's like, again, really heartbreaking because Will is so happy. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have a little boy. And Terry just looks like so concerned behind his back. She's like, oh, no, now I've dug myself deeper. Then we cut to Rachel and Will talking again. Rachel thinks that Will is punishing her by giving Quinn a solo. And he says, contrary to your belief, it's not all about you. But also, like, it is kind of about punishing Rachel a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. It's, It's a bit of a punishment for her. Will does 
impart some little bits of wisdom to Rachel occasionally. She, he says, you might not always be the star, but I'll always try to make sure you're having fun, which I do think is good. You know, they're all here to have fun. And she asks, can I practice in the auditorium later? And we fade into Take a Bow by Rihanna, which- I do think it's good on Will for acknowledging that like he made a mistake you know, going, it has to be about people liking it. It has to be about winning when he's like, yeah, it should actually be about having fun. Um, yeah. It did make me laugh when Rachel asked to use the auditorium to rehearse because her neighbors are filing a restraint, a lawsuit. Yeah. Because she probably is the most annoying neighbor ever. Rachel eats, take a bow up. She kills this song. I really like this cover and it's, it's the only version of this song that I really heard growing up all that much because I didn't listen to the radio a lot. I only listened to Glee covers. And in all honesty, now, no diss to Rihanna, because Rihanna's great, but the Rihanna version is a little underwhelming now. I like Rachel Berry's, like, overdramatic belting. She really is doing the most in this song. I will give her that. She's doing the, the most. Also, Glee really said, screw Mercedes and Tina, because they're just, like, swaying in the background awkward background singing also again diegesis in glee is just a nightmare to try and figure out because she's singing in the auditorium but she's also singing at home but she's also in the hallway sobbing through this song singing and directly in front of her are quinn and finn like just having a nice time laughing and i can't even begin to imagine how awkward filming this scene must have it's confusing because her singing in the hallway right in front of Quinn and Finn is not real. That's going on in her head. But she is watching it happen because we see her like walk away from it. I get what they were going for, but it comes off just super over dramatic, which isn't bad. And yeah, they literally cut the the episode off at her just, you know, finishing her song and walking away. And then we go. Yeah, they the just fade out. So we have five, ge- four generously five song performances this mm-hmm. episode. We have the awful La Freak. Uh, which was bad on purpose. We have mm-hmm. Gold Digger. We have Push It. We have Say a Little Prayer for You and we have Take a Bow. So what do you think is the best song? I Maybe I'm biased, but I want to say Take a Bow because, I mean, again, like I just said, I really just enjoy that song a lot. I will also say I think Gold Digger could have been the best so- song in this episode if they had just given it to Mercedes. My personal favorite song this episode, uh, the one that I keep listening to, is Say a Little Prayer for You, because I think it's like a, a cute little poppy bop. Worst song this episode is Gold Digger, but again, not because it's bad, but because Will Schuster rapping it is bad. Which is not its fault, but it's also not not its fault. It's the fault of whoever said, you know what'll be a cool song to sing on our children's TV show, on our young adults TV show? This Kanye West song where they say the N-word a lot. Yeah, I don't know. What what else is there to say about this show? (laughs) And then we go into most memorable song, or most memorable moment, I should say. Most memorable moment for me. um, I think Say a Little Prayer is very iconic. I think most memorable moment for me is when Rachel goes, we're going to give them what they want to see, and Kurt goes, blood. I also think the performance of Push It is super memorable. Because again, it's not good. It's fun. Most forgettable moment. I don't know if there is one this episode. Sue has gotten more to do this episode, which is really nice. Maybe, probably Lay Freak then. 
Has Will Schuster done anything illegal this episode? Did he do anything illegal? I don't think he specifically did anything that by the definition of the law as is, is illegal. However, Gold Digger feels like it should have been. On the topic of how this episode made us feel when we first watched it, I want to note that this episode came out when I was nine, right? And because the TV show dealt with these more inappropriate topics, essentially what, what my mom would do, we would record it on our DVR, she would watch it, and then we would watch it together like a, a night later, and she would be able to skip through all the inappropriate scenes. She did not let me watch this episode episode three or episode four. So the next two episodes as well are going to be episodes of Glee that I did not see originally in 2009. So the first time I ever watched this episode, I want to say I was maybe like 15 or 16. And it's not a bad episode by any means, but I think similar to what we talked about last episode, the first few episodes of any TV show are them just trying to establish plot, trying to establish personality of characters. And so a lot of the characters do come off like a little bland, not really fully formed. Some of them are very archetypal stereotypes. It was definitely an enjoyable episode, I would say. Watching it again, it's a very, um, it took me like four hours to watch because I was taking eight pages of notes. Um, but it's very much like, a oh, okay. So we have our characters. First chapter is done. We know how this world works. Chapter two, the drama starts. Now we're getting into the story, like the capital S. And then next week, we will be going over episode three of Glee, Acafellas. Oh, that episode! <laughs> that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at SingsationsPod. You can find us on Twitter at SingsationsPod. You can find us on Facebook at SingsationsPod. And you can find us on Tumblr at Singsations Pod. And if you're wondering how to spell that, that is S-I-N-G, as in sing, S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. And again, that's on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram, the big fours of social media. Thank you so much for listening.